Amen. Church, thank you so much for your giving. My name is Corey Bendix. I'm the pastor of Outreach and Evangelism here at Grace. So glad that you're here. Thank you for hanging out with us for a couple of minutes. This is a really important moment for our church, especially during the season, to continue to grow in our faith. Uh, and we do that around God's word. And we'll open that up in just one second. But wanted to encourage you, invite you, uh, to be a part of what we are doing here in a couple of weeks called Lead Well. Um, we are a church that really is passionate about equipping you to grow in not only your education, but the way by which you apply that in the world that you live in. And um, we want to equip you over the course of the next uh, one to two years. We've got two different tracks, uh, a discipleship track, foundations track, and then a leadership track, uh, one year and then two years. Um, but would love for you just to consider being a part of how we want to equip you to make a difference in your community. Again, especially right now, it's never been more important uh, to, to have an answer for what you believe. And uh, we want to teach you uh, everything from church history to apologetics to how to read your Bible and all points beyond. Again, we would love for you to be a part of that. Uh, gracecov.org backslash leadwell. You can find out all of the information. Again, thank you for hanging out with us here tonight. In um, Psalms chapter 81, verse 16, um, as an introduction, this is what it says. But you will be fed with the finest of wheat. With honey from the rock, I will satisfy you. Uh, here, this past weekend, um, my son and I were in the backyard and we were working on, on our yard, just doing some mowing and um, my son was behind the lawnmower, and all of a sudden, I looked the corner of my eye, and and he was uh, he had a look of terror on his face that I had never seen before. And he begins to flail his arms, and we, I suddenly realized that he was in the middle of a bee swarm. And he began to run at me, uh, and then I just said, "Don't run at me, man!" And I started to point somewhere else. Just start running. And as he's running, his shoes are flying, his shirt is flying. Uh, what we would find out is that he got stung. We both did. About, he got stung about 20 times plus, and for me, about five times. And as I'm trying to like, get him all settled in and take care of him, I began to think, it's amazing how the very insects that sting and destroy also create that which satisfies and honey. And I don't know if you're like me, but this year has felt like we've stepped into a bee swarm. Everywhere we turn, we're being stung. We can't even control it, nor can we prepare for it. At every corner, whether it's in our economy, whether it's with our health and COVID, whether it's with Pastor Sean, we've stepped into several bee swarms. And what I find hope in this verse and what I want to unpack tonight is that, you know, the stings of COVID are going to leave. The sting of Pastor Sean, he's going to get better, thank God, by his grace. He's going to come out of the hospital. He's going to be back to normal. All of these things will leave. But what I love about this verse and the hope we have in Jesus is that the sweet honey of faith and trust 
in God will be created in us that will not end and will not stop. The, see, out of great pain comes great faith. A honey, a, a, a stock, an ongoing um, resource that flows from heaven to us, through us, to the community around us called faith that glorifies God. This is the hope that we have during this season. A unique moment in our history that now as a result of pain comes faith. And that's what I want to talk about. Honey from the rock, out of great pain, faith. And what I want to do is I want to look at Luke chapter 7. And I want to do something I've never done before, which is take two stories, back to back, story of a centurion, and then a story of a woman who is a widow who's lost everything, not only her husband, but now her son. What I want to do is I want to take these two stories of two individuals who have really nothing in common. They're, the contrasts are, are really, they run forever. Uh, and I'll, I'll unpack that in just a second. But what holds them and binds them together is the great pain that both of them encounter. And you have a great savior who visits them, who pursues them. And as a result of that, a great faith that is produced. Out of great pain comes great faith. This is who God has called us to be. This is, this is our lot as a result of God's mercy upon us. We are going through great pain, but as a result of great pain, great faith. Let's dive into Luke chapter 7, verses 1 through 17. And if you didn't get your Bible reading in today, this, I think, counts. This is what it says. When Jesus had finished saying all this and hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. And there a centurion's servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. And the centurion heard of Jesus and sent some of the elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him. This man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, soldiers under me. I tell this one goes, and he goes. And that one come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him, and turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith, even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with them. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her and he said, don't cry. Then he went up and touched the coffin and those carrying it stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk and Jesus gave him back to his mother. 
And they were all filled with awe. And praise God, a great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding countryside. You couldn't put two people more different together in two stories. You have a centurion, a man, at the top of the food chain, if you will. He's got power. He's got authority. He has clout in the Roman world and the Jewish world. This is a man who has everything you can imagine. We're told that he even has friends that are next to him. He's surrounded by people who love him and care for him. And then you have, in the second story, a woman, which is obvious, but that puts her in a very different class. In this time and age, uh, women were seen below animals. She's not just a woman, she's a widow, which means she's destitute. And then she's losing her only son. It's a woman who is surrounded, yes, by people, but by wailers, those who are crying and screaming. Couldn't have two more opposite individuals brought together. And the, the, the beauty we have in the story is that we have a Savior who is consistent in both tales. Savior who turns himself to each of them. And as a result of the face of Jesus being turned to these two people in pain, faith arises, but it arises in two very different ways. And I, I love these two different ways because I believe it, it entails and includes every person who is hearing this message. The different ways that we respond to pain. This centurion... He has a servant that he cares so much for. And so, like most of us, when we have a need, we find out, who, where's my hookup? Who's, who's my connection? How can I get what I need as fast, as quickly as I possibly can? So he had done much in reconstruction for the local temple. He was a man of, of resource, and he had extended his resources to Jews. And so he goes to somebody that he had gone through, priest, some elders, and he reaches out and said, I have a servant. I've heard about this Jesus guy. Can you find a way to get him to come to me? Can, can you hook this up? And what we find is that, is that they go to Jesus and they unpack a very uh, true and, and very engaging story and narrative of how a man is in need. He deserves it. You should come to him. And Jesus turns his face and begins to approach the city of Capernaum. But see, something happens in the middle of the visitation. What started as, I just need a servant to be healed, something is altered when the king visits his people. You see, with the centurion, he's a man who understands what it's like to, be, to have an allegiance. His allegiance was with the emperor. He, he understands what it's like to have an allegiance with one, with all of the Roman emperors. They identified themselves as one thing, as the son of God. That's what they called themselves. And they required you to call them that as well. And so with the centurion who works for the Roman government, his allegiance was towards one person, the emperor, the son of God. 
But when the true son of God turns his face to this centurion, something shifts. Shifts. Find a man who suddenly sees his own brokenness and depravity. He didn't see that before. The king, the true king, turns his face to this man, and as a result, it awakens his own honesty, transparency, the reality of his own fallenness, and he acknowledges it. I love this because what precedes great faith, it's great brokenness. It's so important to acknowledge this, that here this man is, and he says, I'm broken. Oh man, this Savior doesn't even deserve to come. I don't deserve for him to even come into my home. For him to to, to break the seal and enter into my my domain, this this is the Son of God. And like, as, as he's talking it out, he's identifying his own brokenness and out of his own brokenness comes this now, this acknowledgement of the authority of the King of Kings. What precedes great faith is not just great brokenness, but a great understanding and acknowledgement An awareness of the authority of the king. And with that comes an allegiance. Here this man is. He is seeing everything freshly for the first time. And he's he's taking steps of acknowledging his brokenness. Acknowledging the authority of Jesus Christ, the son of God who came for this man. This is the first time that we've had any interaction between Jesus and anyone like him. He's breaking the mold. And he doesn't even see Jesus. He sees him through through individuals who are are transporting his message to Jesus. He didn't even see him face to face. The first time he sends um, Jewish elders and priests. The second time he sends a friend. Someone very close to him. Because this was different. He's aware of his own brokenness. And he's aware of the authority of who Jesus is. And it creates an allegiance. You know what's being done here? Is that he's turning his allegiance from the emperor and he's turning it to the king of kings. This is defining. And I, you know what? I I consider for you and I, like for, for me, I look at this, and when I think of great faith, I think of, like, we can, we can change it. We can take that idea of great faith, and we can make it about emotions. We can make it about, man, I, have, I feel strength because I believe in, in the scriptures. We, we have all types of assessments of what great faith is, but we're given a tutorial from this man that it begins with, with being aware of your own brokenness. This has been a season, to be honest with you, over these last five months, I've never been aware of my own fallenness more than I have these last five months. Like this message for you, this isn't for you. This has been for me. This has been what I've been living in. Is that God, you're creating in me a new awareness of how I long for control. I long to be right. I long to be able to, to control where I go, how I go, what things occur in my world. And guess what? I have no control. And I hate that. I've been more aware of, of how at times I feel helpless and then I lash out to my kids. I lash out to my wife. I've, I've repented more to my children in the last five months than I have in my, since they were born. And yet, I think there's something so beautiful about that. 
and so important that I am, I'm being introduced to my own brokenness and, and therein comes the hope for great faith. Because as I'm aware of my own brokenness, it allows me to, to quickly transition, pivot, and be hinged upon the authority of Jesus. You see, that's what the psalmists do. They teach us how to do, how to be aware of our own brokenness while at the same time holding tightly, tightly to the authority and the beauty of Jesus. Like this is what we're told to do. Is that this is what it means to have great faith is begin with our brokenness and it transitions into the authority and the beauty and the magnificence of Christ alone. And what, hap- what happens as a result of that is allegiance. Allegiance to the king. Allegiance, God, I want you, I want all of you. And, and what comes out of that with this man is he's told that he has great faith. A faith that has never been seen in all of Israel. What an amazing title. You see, what happens is that as a result of the pain he's facing, he now is introduced to a faith that will stick to him for the rest of his life. He couldn't have had great faith without the great pain. The great pain was the entry point into the, the type of life that God in Christ had made for him and ultimately for us. Great faith. You see, without great pain comes, we can't have a great faith. It's, it's, this, it's the honey from the rock. This man was able to taste the, the honey of faith as a result of this impossible rock called this woman, this, this, this servant being sick. Now, as a result of this, his life has changed. And I, I, I want to encourage you, if you're here and you are hearing this and going, man, I, I am like that. I, I want to be that centurion. I feel like I'm so close. I feel like God's doing that very same thing in me. I can see things. I feel like I can have a fresh perspective of my own brokenness. And God, I, I want to know your authority in a fresh way. And I want to have allegiance. Uh, then, then you're in great company. But for many of us, we don't have the story. We have the story that's more closely tied to, to the woman at Nain who Luke plunges us into a, an even deeper pain where this woman can't see anything. For some of us, we have the centurion perspective where we can see things. But for, for many of us, the pain is like a fog that has, has slowly crept in and we can't see a foot in front of us. For some of you, you're like, Corey, I want to be the centurion. I just, I, I don't even know where to begin. I can't even see. Corey, you don't get it. The whole thing with Pastor Sean just, it, it completely wrecked me. I can barely see who I am, who God is. I can't see a thing. You know what? You're in really good company with this story because when we can't see the king, the king sees us. This is what's happening with this woman. She's lost her son and she's surrounded by whalers and she's going to bury her son. And it, it, what in Luke 7 verses 11 to 13 or so, it, be, it gives us this picture of almost two opposing worlds colliding. A world f- filled with death and then a world that Jesus is at the, at the lead. And here this w- woman is, she doesn't even realize that the king of kings is just feet in front of her. But she can't see because she's overwhelmed by her pain. She's overwhelmed by her grief. She's overwhelmed with her questions of what's next. She's overwhelmed with the uncertainty of the future. You might be here and 
you're in a place where you, you, you've been furloughed for five months and you don't know what the future holds. For many, all of the resources that the government has been giving, they just ended. And you're going, how is the future, what does the future hold for me? For, for many of us, we, we might be in a place where the uncertainty is a fog that is preventing us from seeing anything in front of us. And this is the hope that we have in the story, that what we find is that Jesus sees her from a distance. Doesn't just see her, but comes close. Says, woman, don't cry. Can I just tell you that if you don't have the strength or if you don't feel like you have the faith to even cry out for help, you have a Savior who is coming close, who is telling you, don't cry, I'm with you. It's almost like Jesus is saying to her, you know what, I got this one. Let me do the heavy lifting. Let me step in. Let me get your back. Let me carry your pain. This is what the king is saying to this woman who has nothing to offer. Sees her from a distance, comes close, and says, don't cry. I want you to hear the same hopeful declaration into your life here today. And what Jesus does is just, it's, it's sick, really. I mean, it's absolutely unbelievable. Straight gangster. He, what he does, he, he, cup, he goes in and he, he steps, he takes his hand and he touches the coffin. See, you don't do that. You don't touch death, not if you're a Jew. Because what you touch, if you touch death, death infects you. Death stops you. Death makes you unclean. But here this dude is, Jesus, the king of kings, telling this woman, I got you. I'm stepping in. And I'm not only going to bring compassion to you, I'm now going to bring power to you. And what he does is he touches this, de- this, this coffin, this representation of death. And instead of him getting infected, what he had now affects and impacts the coffin. The dead man now begins, it's almost like he begins to shake. And Jesus says, young man, I say to you, arise. I'm almost, it's almost like I'm hearing the voice of Jesus, even now, saying to your faith, faith, arise. For many of us, we've been surrounded by pain for a long time. Hear the words, arise. And the man, the young man who had been dead, he sits up and he begins talking. I would love to hear what this dude was saying. I, who knows? But as soon as he touches the buyer, he says, arise, one thing happens. The city glorifies God. Uh, you know, I, I've never seen this before, and it's really simple, and I, I'm almost embarrassed to even share it with you, but when it says the city, it includes the widow at Nain. Guess what happened? She glorified her king as a result of the pain she was facing. Out of pain, faith. You see, from that point forward, whenever she saw her son, she didn't just see her son, she saw faith. She saw the representation of the king. She saw the proof that Jesus was savior of the world. That from that point forward, she was marked 
for the rest of her life as a result of what Jesus had done in bringing honey out of the rock. Out of great pain comes great faith. This is, this is the beauty of the story. Is that, and it's not even just about our faith. What I, I love about Romans chapter 8. Romans 8 verses 18. This is what it says. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Do you know what? Everything, all this pain, all of the faith that comes from pain, it's that we may live a life that glorifies the king. It's about our life and what he gives to us, his faith, now living in us through pain and producing a life that honors him and is, it reveals him and it acknowledges him and wants to serve him. And is, it now exists for the purposes of the king. All of that is, it does one thing. It glorifies the master. Everything about this story, these two stories, now mashed together, it's for one purpose. It's for the king to be glorified from their faith. A faith that Jesus himself authors and perfects through his face being turned to them. But here's the challenge, and here's the great defining question. If will we see this pain and not waste it? This is what I mean. I'll close with this story. Um, there was a, a man in the 1800s named Al-Hafed. And he lived in South Africa. And he was a man who was, um, didn't have much. He had a cabin. He had a large field. He had a wife and some kids. Um, he had tools, um, ox, and he would tend and work his field. He had a garden. This was a man who, who wasn't doing bad. He was doing quite good. But he wasn't satisfied with his life. And he heard about, there was a traveling salesman that came through and talked to him about the wonders of India. You need to go to India because they are diamonds. Whole seas of diamonds that you can, I mean, you can just look and grab and be filthy wealthy, filthy rich, wealthy. It's a man who, who, as he was hearing about this, just something in him was like, I, I don't like my life. I, I, my kids and my family deserve more. I deserve more. So the next morning, he sold what he had and he went to India, he told his family, I will be back, but I will be back loaded down with diamonds. He went to India and he found nothing. From India, he went to Europe. From Europe, he went to Spain. And everywhere he went, he came up empty. And before he killed himself, so I know this is a really depressing story. I'm sorry, it's going to get better. Just a second. Before he, he thrust himself into a, a raging stream, uh, what he did is he wrote his, his wife a note, there are no diamonds anywhere. Now, this is where the story gets really good. What happened is that there was an, a man who, after al Hassar, uh, uh, after he sold his, his farm, he sold his farm to this, to, to this man. So he took the same plow, the same cattle, and he took the same um, acreage and then the same garden and he began to work it. 
what he began to notice is that it was really frustrating for him because he would work this ground, and out of the ground came these large black stones. And he was, he was working a garden. There was one moment where he was working his garden, and out of the garden came a whole collection of rocks. One rock that was bigger than all, really all of them. It was so beautiful, he thought he would enjoy it at his firelight with his mantle. So he went inside and put it in his, in, on, on his mantle. There was a, a pastor who came in, just uh, I believe it was a priest, came in to welcome the family, and he noticed this rock on the mantle. And he said, do you, like, do you realize what that is? That's diamonds. It's diamonds. You're, that's, like, that's one of the biggest diamonds that, that I've ever seen. It's worth lots of money. He ended up selling it for $25,000 in the 1800s, and that one location that he was in would become the Galando Mines, the very mines in South Africa that the Queen of England would buy those, the diamonds that were sold there for her crown. What one man punted on, another man came in and worked it and decided, I'm going to lock in and put the full weight of who I am right where I am, and I'm not going to waste this. Please, in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the pain and the turmoil and the challenges that we find ourselves in, there are diamonds here called faith. There are diamonds that God wants to reveal. There is honey that God wants to create in the rock because out of pain comes faith. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for what you're doing, who you are, how you're presenting yourself to us in this unique moment of our church's history. Lord, we love you. We honor you. We surrender to you. If you're here and, and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, we want to give you that opportunity. It's very simple. If you, if you want to come to a place where you say, Lord Jesus, I want to make you my king. Like this centurion, I want, to, I want my allegiance to be found in you and you alone. I want to give you that opportunity. Just simply text the word new life to 25827. What we're going to do is, is we actually believe that when you make a declaration of faith through something like that, where you raise your hand and you say, I surrender, then you are instantly brought out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of life and light. That Jesus now has expressed and extended to himself to you and you've received him as Lord and as, and of Savior, and as as a savior. And now everything has changed. And we want to join you and walk with you in this journey. And by texting new life to 25827, it allows for us to, to come alongside of you, to support you, to stand with you, to point you to next steps.